Well, I'm supposed to be speaking about aliens this week. Um, this is the last um, message in our series, Idols and Aliens. And um, I just wanted to start off by saying all aliens are not the same. Right? And we know that, that Star Wars, for instance, is better than Star Trek and so forth, right? Um, have that person re- uh, removed, please. Um, if you watch the movie Men in Black also, you realize that... Um, I, look, I don't believe in aliens, okay? So I'm just... Just roll with me here. Um, some of these aliens come to the Earth and they disguise themselves as humans. And nobody can tell if they're aliens or not except if your name is Tommy Lee, Tommy Lee Jones or, or Will Smith, right? So um, they come to this Earth and they become very comfortable as aliens. And... Um, I fear, though, that sometimes we as Christians are on this earth and sometimes we become very comfortable um, on this earth. And uh, we disguise ourselves like, like those aliens. And we kind of just blend into our surroundings. We kind of just become like everything around us. And this morning I want to I talk about that a little bit. I wanna t- the passage, the text that I'll be using um, comes out of Colossians 3. But before I turn there... I'd like to open up in a word of prayer. Lord, we, um, we come before you, Lord, knowing, Lord, that this is not our home. We are visitors. You've placed us here, Lord, and I pray that we not just become so comfortable that we forget, Lord, why we're here. Lord, please, Lord, break our hearts, Lord. Help us to realize Lord, that our home is with you. Lord, open up our minds and our hearts this morning. Amen. Uh, the, late, the late Tupac Shakur was a rapper. Um, it wasn't a joke, it was Tupac. Um, I guess it's funny, he made his way into my sermon. In the midst of immoral and vulgar uh, songs, he had um, a gem of a song called Keep Your Head Up. And uh, the song was really directed at, at ladies who were in uh, abusive relationships or they're being mistreated by men. And the song is basically encouraging the, the women to stay strong, endure, persevere, because things are going to get easier, things are going to get brighter. Now, I know the title of my sermon is Keep Your Head Up, and to some Degree, there is an element of that. We can endure on this, in this world. We can, we can make it through because we know ultimately, right, we have heaven. And what a sweet day that will be when, when we are in glory with our Lord. But there are some other ideas that I had as well. Keeping your head up. Keeping your head up and fixed on heaven, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have four points that I would like to make uh, with this thought. My first point is this. Keeping your head up means that you set your mind on Christ. In other words, it means that you keep a proper perspective on life. A heavenly perspective. Verse 1 of, of Colossians 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated. Where Christ is 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. John MacArthur says that in order to reach this world, we have to first leave it. And I don't believe that he's advocating we take our lives prematurely. Although we, we understand, right, Paul struggled with that very thought. In, in, in Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's torn. He wants to be in eternal glory with the Lord, yet he understands God has a purpose for him here and now. And we also don't read in the Bible God advocating anybody to end their life prematurely. That's not what, what MacArthur is saying, that in order to reach this world, we first have to leave it. He's talking more in a spiritual sense. If your heart is anchored to the world, then it will become difficult to rise above and, and view the big picture, why we're on this earth. If we're anchored to this world, we're just going to view things from, from a limited perspective, but when we start to see things through the mind of Christ, we see a bigger picture here. And though this is not a legalistic method to rid yourself of earthly luxury, it is a statement that reminds us that idols begin to jeopardize our identities as aliens. Setting your mind on the things above means waging war against the flesh. I don't know if you feel that struggle. I feel it all the time. It's no coincidence that, that Peter tells us in, in, in his first epistle, he tells us to prepare our minds for action. Prepare your mind for battle. He understood. There's a war going on. It begins in the mind. Religion is not based on outward work. Or religion is based on outward works, I should say. But God is not concerned with, with religion, with just going through the motions. He's concerned with our hearts, what's going on in our minds. Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, and this phrase continues a thought that he started in chapter 2, when he says, in, in 2.20, he says, if with Christ you died, and now he's saying, if then you've been raised with Christ. Don't you see that, that we know Christ in his death and in his resurrection, both. As believers, we know him in both. That's, that, that song, Knowing You, based on Philippians. You know, to, to, be, to know him in his death and his, his resurrection and his life. To know Jesus in all areas. Christ's death on the cross was not merely um, the execution of some religious fanatic. We see plenty of those, right? That's not what Christ was. If you saw The Passion of the Christ, the movie, you, you, you sit back and you say, Wow, that looked... It looks like he went through a lot of pain, and he did. But if only we could see all the pain that he went through. I, I really like um, the words in the song, um, Here I Am to Worship. The part says, And I'll never know how much it costs um, to see my, see my sins upon the cross, as the hell goes. Um, and um, I'll never know how much it costs. This is true. We won't. Because the, the, the pain that Christ suffered on the cross goes far deeper than, than flesh wounds or, or, or even mocking or being spit at. 
But as he hung on that cross, God turned his holy back on him. And so at that moment, he was rejected. Not just by all of mankind, but by God as well. Turned his back and he was lonely. Emptiness. We don't, we'll, never face, we'll never experience that lonely if we put our trust in Jesus Christ because we know that he's with us at all times. But I will tell you this, that that loneliness is what I really believe hell is. Separation from God. Rejected by all. And if you struggle with, with depression, with sadness, those things on, on this earth, I believe those things are what your experience is a paradise compared to what hell is. And that loneliness that, that Christ suffered on that cross is something that, that, that we may never experience. But we understand that his death um, freed us from our sin. So that sin may no longer hold sway over us. Now, if Christ had merely died, that'd be the end of the story. If that was it, then he would, just be, he would be no different than you and I, than any other religious leader, right? But verse chapter 3, verse 1 reminds us that we've been raised with Christ. And don't you understand what that means? He defeated sin and death. It means that since he defeated sin and death, sin and death no longer have power over you either if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. It's a comforting thought to know that you can conquer sin in your life through Jesus Christ. If you struggle with pornography, God can break those chains. If you, if you abuse alcohol, God can help you overcome that. If you're sleeping with someone outside of wedlock, you can stop. If your anger boils out of control, it can be tamed. And just insert your sin right here. God can help you overcome that. That's why he died on the cross. Jesus did not humble himself to death on a cross so that we could live defeated lives. So Paul says, for if, you, if you've died, for you have died and your life is hidden Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What does it mean that, that, that your life is, is hidden with Christ? Well, let me tell you what, this is alien talk. This means that we are out of this world. We are not of this world because Christ right now is hidden. We can't see him. We, we, know, he, we know he's real. We know in one sense he lives in our hearts. We know in another sense he's in heaven, but he's hidden. And so is our lives. You can't look at a person and just see eternal life in them. You can't just see Christ in them until you see their actions, right? Because those things are hidden. And one day they will be revealed to everybody. And they will be revealed in the greatest invasion this world has ever seen better than any screenwriter, producer, director, anybody could ever conjure up in their minds and, and put on a screen. One day, the sky will split, Christ will come down with his heavenly army, and he will defeat Satan and reclaim what Satan had stolen from him. 
And at that point, what is hidden now will be revealed to everyone. Everyone. At the point of death, what is hidden now is revealed as well. But as we live on this earth, we lose focus sometimes that our life is hidden with Christ. In the movie E.T., the little alien's desires to go home, right? That's what he wants to do. You know, you can sympathize with him. He doesn't belong here on earth. That's the perspective of an alien. That's the perspective we need to have. We need to all be little E.T.'s. Don't fall in love with this world. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We must not only seek the things that are above, we must think the things that are above. It's more than action. It's our minds as well. This becomes difficult because we know that God expects us to live in a Christ-honoring way. But not only that, He expects us to think in a Christ-honoring way. I, I, I've asked this question many times of, many, of different people. Do you, think it's, do you think Christianity is the hardest way of life? You know, you take different religions, uh, Islam or, or um, Jehovah's Witness or Hinduism or, or even being an atheist. Whatever way of life is Christianity the hardest some of the other religions are very difficult, right? In, in the sense that, that there are so many things that, that you must do um, to earn God's favor. But the thing that I think of with following Christ is the difficult part is it's not just mere action. He wants our minds as well. It's, our minds are private. We feel like that's a place you don't want anybody to know what's going on in there. That's private, yet we know God knows what is going on in the mind. He knows what we're really thinking. So what does this mean? It means that the battle begins in our mind. We have to first win the battle in our mind if we want to walk this Christian life, if we want to live as aliens on this, uh, on this earth. So what can we do to set, set our minds on Christ? We need to be reading the scriptures, reading the word of God, memorizing it, pray. Ask God to reveal things to you in, in the Word of God that, that maybe you don't understand. And maybe another thing we can do is just watch less television and build more relationships with other people. What, believers or non-believers. I'll tell you what, when you start witnessing to non-believer, oh, your faith is sharpened. You have to know what you're talking about. Your mind is tuned into Christ. Maybe stop filling your head with with garbage that comes in songs, movies, TV, books, video games, internet, etc. I'm not saying that we throw those things out, but we know the garbage that lies in them. Be discerning. Maybe if you want to be really practical, chart how much time you spend in godly character versus earthly activity, worldly activity. And maybe see, am I spending a lot of time with, with Christ? I don't speak up here as an expert. I wish. It's, it's constant growth. And um, I'm convicted every time I think about how little time I, I, I spend, in, spend with my Savior compared to everything else in this world. Point number two. 
Keeping your head up means that you put to death earthly desires. In other words, it means that you no longer desire the things that will one day burn up with this world anyway. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, free, a slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. See, if you want to be raised with Christ, first you must die to yourself. Put to death those things that are not of Christ. And if you're wondering what exactly should I put to death, Paul gives us a list here. I don't believe it's not an exhaustive list, but think of a list that we can relate to. And I see these as, as somewhat inward and outward. And I know, like, inward desire, sexual immorality can, can be an outward um, act as well, but it definitely starts in the mind. Um, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The outward manifestations are anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And, and I really don't want to hear anybody ever say or try to justify obscene speech anymore, saying that we have freedom in Christ. What's the big deal? Cursing and, and all these different things. Why do we think it's okay when, when the Word of God tells us no obscene talk from your mouth? I understand the tongue is difficult to tame, but it must be our goal. I mean, come on, we are aliens to this earth. We cannot act like the world anymore. The battle begins in our minds. We sing a song in youth group called Take It All, and, and it's basically just a cry out to God, just take everything from me. Have my life. Have everything. It's yours. I want to live for your name unashamed. Just take it all. You see, because on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You need, the, to me, the, the, the last thing that we should ever want to associate ourselves is with the wrath of God. We love His love, but we ignore His wrath. We know that the ultimate wrath is for all non-believers, and that is hell. What I described earlier. But I also know that as believers, we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. God's wrath is as real as His love. Popular singer-songwriter Jennifer Knapp, who had been on hiatus for, for many years now, uh, recently announced that she's a lesbian. And I'm not going to speculate whether or not she's a Christian or not. Her, her music has definitely, um, to me, shown, you know, in the past, or at least uh, I assume that she was, and maybe still is. But I see a lot of people commenting on message boards, you know, uh, 
Um, I saw this article in like in USA Today and MSN and all these different things. She's getting national press. She's on Larry King live and um, it's a tragedy. But you hear people saying, only God can judge. And do you know what I say to that? That's one you don't want judging you. Who cares if people judge you? You really want God's judgment? Or some people say, who cares what other people think? It only matters what, God's, what God thinks. Exactly. But what if God's not pleased? See, I'd rather everyone judge me if God accepts me rather than everyone accept me if God judges me for what I'm doing. This morning in, in adult learning, we're talking about Micaiah the prophet. One of many of the prophets, they stood up in the, in the midst of adversity. Sometimes they were the only voice speaking for God. Everyone rejected them, but God accepted them. Paul goes on to say, do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The being renewed part is called sanctification, the process of becoming more holy, becoming holier, I should say, every day. We cannot do this, we cannot become, we cannot grow in our faith if we are not putting to death our old self, if we're, if we're engaging in the practices of, of our old self. And I was talking to my brother Jose Mendez the other day, and, and he said something that, that was, to me, I want to take that as, as a challenge in my life, that in a year from now, I don't want to be at the place that I am right now, spiritually. I want to continue to grow, because that growing should never, ever stop, and we should never become comfortable where we're at. Well, with lying, why do we think it's okay to lie or tell half-truths or, or admit the truth in this area? We do it often to save our own skin most of the time. We make this our pattern. We engage in these earthly activities, we make them our pattern, and then we wonder why church is so unsatisfying. The preaching style becomes a scapegoat. The worship becomes an excuse. The worship style becomes an excuse and people end up leaving the church unhappy without ever analyzing their own hearts. This is deeper. Deeper than just something outward that we can see. It's in our hearts. If you're prepared to walk away, have you really examined your heart to the full? We need to put all sin to death. Jimmy V, a famous college basketball coach. Um, on March 4, 1993, Jim Vavano, um, Jimmy V, was awarded the inaugural Arthur Ashe Courage and Humanitarian Award at the first annual ESPY Awards put on by ESPN. The truth was, Jimmy V was dying of cancer. At these awards, he gave a heartfelt speech and um, started off with a little bit of humor. He said, I also don't have one of those things going on with the cue cards, so I'm going to speak longer than anybody else has spoken tonight. So everyone's kind of squirming. How long is he going to speak? And then at one point, he's, as he's going on, and he had spoken for, for some minutes, um, he, he, he looks at the back of the, of the auditorium, and he says, or, or in front of him somewhere, teleprompter, and um, he says, that screen is flashing up there, 30 seconds, like I care about that screen right now, huh? 
I got tumors all over my body and I'm worried about some guy in the back going 30 seconds. But what really struck me in the speech were the words after announcing that ESPN was partnering with him to, to form what is now known as the, um, the V Foundation for Cancer Research. And this is what he said. And the motto is, don't give up. Don't ever give up. That's what I'm going to try to do every minute that I have left. I will thank God for the, for the day and the moment I have. If you see me, smile. Maybe give me a hug. That's important to me too. But try, if you can, to support whether it's AIDS or the Cancer Foundation so that someone else might survive, might prosper, might actually be cured from this dreaded disease. Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind. It cannot touch my heart. And it cannot touch my soul. All those three things are going to carry on forever. You know, when you find out you have cancer or some deadly disease, you act on it. You do everything you possibly can to kill it. And you're not satisfied until every trace of it, every hint has been brutally destroyed, has been taken away, removed from your body. That's the attitude that we need to take with sin in our lives. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Even if you've been struggling for years and you think that there's no way out, don't ever give up. Until it is removed and there's not a hint of it. Left unchecked, the sin will spread and destroy not only your life, but it will affect other people around you. And then Paul makes, says ethnically as well, we need to understand that, that we're not better than anybody else because of our ethnicity, because Christ is in all. So what can we do to kill sin? I say find somebody that can walk with you in this journey. Not fi- don't find somebody who merely just asks you questions of whether or not you sinned this week. But somebody who will encourage you and walk with you and spur you on to fall deeply in love with Christ. Because at that point when you've surrendered your mind to Christ, then you will find the battling sin will, will become easier. Not that it becomes easy, not that, that you will never sin again. But while your mind is not focused on Christ, you will not see victory. I love the words of, of, of the worship song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what we need to do. Not focus on our sin, but focus on Christ. Point number three, keeping your head up means that you put on Christ-likeness. In other words, it means that you begin, you begin looking less like you and more like Christ. Um, I knew, uh, I know this, this, this man who worked at Moody. Uh, his name is Dr. Rasher. And uh, one of my favorite <laughs> phrases from him is, is uh, he, he's, you know, he's got a nice belly going on. He's, and he's got a big white beard. He looks, a lot, he looks a lot like D.L. Moody. Um, uh, and what he says is, I look more like D.L. Moody than D.L. Moody himself. And uh, I, uh, I think it's funny. Um, sometimes it's in the delivery, I'm sorry. Um, but, but what Christ is calling us to be 
is to look less like ourselves and more like Him. Verse 12, Put on then, as, Christ, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, the Father through Him. And what does an alien look like? It looks like that. That's how we should look. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Don't you realize that you're chosen by God? You're set apart by Him. What an honor. Therefore, because we are, we must be compassionate. And, and if you studied the life of Christ, you realize that Christ was motivated and driven so many times by compassion. For instance, in nine, Matthew 9.36, it says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Our hearts have to bleed for people, for others. Kindness must not just be done randomly, but intentionally, purposefully. It must become our life. Humility is not for the weak, and neither is meekness, for, the, for they are qualities of God, and God is strong. And of course, patience is, is reflecting Jesus Christ. If it wasn't, we'd been, we would have been destroyed long ago. Remember what Jonah said after God spared Nineveh? He says, You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and, re- and relenting from disaster. And, and Jonah wasn't complimenting him. He was accusing him because he wanted to see Nineveh destroyed. But interesting that... Um, he enjoyed God's grace in his own life. Paul says, we, bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And some of you might have been tracking up to this point and said, forgiveness? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what he's done to me. You don't know what she has done to me. I'm not forgiving. It's a thing that we just don't hand out, freely. Most of the time we don't want forgiveness, we want justice. Somebody has wronged me, so I need to make sure that they get what's coming to them before I forgive them. Do you know what the problem with forgiveness is? People think that it's simply just accepting an apology. I'm sorry, that's okay, no problem. That's forgiveness. Christians feel pressure to forgive oftentimes right on the spot. This is great for minor offenses. Hey, I'm really sorry. I, I ate the last pizza puff in the freezer today. Oh, uh, yeah, it's okay, man. No problem. Minor offense. You can forgive them right on the spot. But what about though things, ways that we've been offended, they go much deeper than that, that strike us at our core perhaps years and years of hurt have been attached to this. 
I'm not dumbing down forgiveness and I'm not disregarding it either. Because I understand that forgiveness may take time. We can't fool ourselves. Don't think, oh, I, I forgive him right away. It may take time. Um, it may take a lot of long and hard conversations. It may take a lot of prayer and seeking in God's word. It may take a mediator to come in and help with the situation. A godly mediator, by the way. Whatever it takes, work toward forgiveness. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us, and, I, and I, I promise you, you've offended Christ in many ways. Whether you recognize it or not, you've offended Him. And yet He forgives us. Jesus went to great lengths to reconcile our relationship. Can we go through great lengths to reconcile our relationships with one another? Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. If we look less like this world and more like Jesus, don't we need to be forgiving people? Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Do you want to know what love is? Don't look in Hollywood, okay? Because most of the love stories that, that we see are lust stories about somebody who will do anything that they can just to be with this other person. They'll, they'll act irrationally. And they'll do things that are questionable just to be with somebody else. It sounds sweet, but it's not love. Love is um, not, not about conflicted vampires and the girls who obsess over them. Or it's not um, found in some cute romantic comedy either. Entertaining? Okay. Not love. Do you really want to know what love is? Because it's radical. Read First John. Here's some verses to chew on later. You pop them in like, like chewing gum and you know the, um, the extra gum lasts an extra, extra, extra long time. Oh, this will last an extra long time. If you continue to chew on it, I promise you, for the rest of your life you'll be chewing on this. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. 1 John 4.8 Whoever does not, love, does not love does not know God, because God is love. 1 John 4.9 This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. 1 John 4.10 This is love, not that we loved, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice. We have to love. And the way we learn how to love is, is, is Christ. Christ is love. If we're not loving, if we're not displaying love, the Bible says we don't know God because God is love. And so we have to then let the word of Christ, the peace of, of Christ, rule our hearts, dwell within us, camp out, live there, become a part of our being, the peace of Christ. We don't no longer have that struggle with with Christ, if we are believers, we've been reconciled to Him. And that should be evident in our lives. And the Word of Christ is the Word of God. Like I said earlier, memorize it. Take it in, and like good medicine, it'll spread through you. It'll start to transform you from the inside out. We need to have a healthy fear of God. 
Is God approachable? Yes. Is Jesus our homeboy? No. Okay? He's our Lord. And if we do this, then we can teach other people. If we have the Word of God dwelling with them, then we can help others. We can teach them. We can admonish them. In other words, warn them. You see them in sin, you warn them of the path that they're going down. It, it brings us to singing hymns and, and songs. It, it's creative expression of what God has done for us. And if you notice, he says one another. This is to be done in community. We focus so much on our personal relationship in G, you know, with Jesus Christ that we forget about the community. You know, um, Danya asked me recently what superhero I would like to be. If I could be any of them, it'd be Batman. And you know what, though? People think Batman is a loner, but when you see the movie, you realize Batman is not a loner. He has a support system. He has Alfred. He has Commissioner Gordon, Morgan Freeman, and Rachel Dawes before she's blown up. Rest in peace. And they held him accountable. They gave him advice. And, and so the world sees him as all by himself, but he had a support system. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of the way that, that we are. When we're going out in ministry, we're doing whatever, we're in the workplace by ourselves, we still have a support system around us because this Christian life is not to be lived in a bubble by ourselves. We don't like the accountability sometimes. But, whatever, but Paul goes on to say here, then, whatever you do, do it in the name um, of the Lord. So... Everything you do should be reflecting your relationship with the Lord. Real quick, point four. Keep your, uh, keeping your head up means that you act differently than the world. In other words, it means that you regard others' needs as more important than your own. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting with the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children uh, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And he goes on and talks about slaves and masters um, just reflecting God in the way that they, they live. So how should aliens in the world act? They should act different. Sadly, the church often looks the same as the world in these areas. 50% of men and two-thirds of women admit to an adulterous relationship. That's the world. 40% of Christian marriages will experience the pain of infidelity by the time one of them turns 40. That's the church. The divorce rate amongst Christians in the world is comparable. And we also see a lot of disrespect among the youth, rebellion toward the parents. We see a lot of uh, questionable worth ethic. And, and let me just uh, real quick quickly say that, that a lot of times you, you know, we're, we're not living out differently because we've not allowed the mind of Christ to become our mind. We've bought into the world and its systems. Wives don't want to submit because they have a perverted view of submission. It leads to separation in that family. Husbands don't want to take the time to know and study their wives and so therefore they don't love them. They want intimacy with no love, not taking the, the time to get to know them. And no wonder the wives have a hard time submitting. Children, and let me rephrase this actually, youth, because if you're a youth in here and you're listening, why do you think it's okay to talk to your mother like she's your peer? Because she's not. You can't yell at your parents on the cell phone, hang it up, and then try to tell your friends that you're a Christian. What do they see about Christ there? Why should they believe that Christ can change anybody's lives? Fathers provoke their children to discouragement. They try to live their lives through them. 
how do I know this? Go to the Little League game one day and see parents yelling at the referees, just yelling at the coaches. It's Little League. Why are, is anybody yelling at anybody? Ten-year-olds. You know, I, 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 used to, I used to umpire in Little League. It, it was really sad. People cussing each other out. Um, and, and maybe we don't live in a day of slaves and masters, but we treat... Uh, do we treat our bosses and our coworkers differently than, than the non-Christians do? Point number one is keeping your head up means you set your mind on Christ. Point number two, keeping your head up means that you put to death earthly desires. Point number three, keep, keeping your head up means that you put on Christ's likeness. And point number four is keeping your head up means that you act differently than the world. Lord, I pray that we would just become aliens, Lord, to this world, not in love with it, different, Lord, that people might, might see us, not because we dress differently, not because our hair looks different or the way that we talk, but because of the way that we live. Lord, that Christ would just be evident. Something's changed our lives, and it's Jesus. Help us, Lord. Give us strength to do this. In your name. Amen. At this time, when the, the band is leading us in our final song, I just want to... Uh, encourage you if you want to come up um, for prayer. We'll have prayer counselors up there. Would you stand and sing with us?
Thank you.